Welcome to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with Opera Holland Park's director of opera, James Clutton. In conversation with creatives and collaborators, we explore the process of putting opera on stage and how the artists involved approach their craft. Hello, I'm James Clutton. Welcome to From the Producer's Office. Uh, today I've got with me a great, great friend of mine and in fact one of the rocks upon which Opera Holland Park was built. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. The great director, Tom Hawkes. Welcome, Tom. Welcome. Uh, welcome. Hello, James. Hello. It's, lovely. Yeah, why not? it's lovely to see you. Welcome to me as well. It's yeah. great. Welcome to this. Um, it's really great to see you, Tom. Thank you, James. Let's nice be here. Well, let's. So we're we're at the we're at the Royal Opera House, and uh, we're outside the Limbury Theatre, this gorgeous Limbury Theatre, which we'll talk about Tom working here in the past uh, in a little bit later. So, Tom, let's go right back to the beginning. How um, how did you start off in the business uh, initially? I trained as an actor and, and as a teacher at the Royal Academy of Music, right. which I didn't know at the time was going to stand me in marvellous stead for Perfect my chosen stage, career. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I did three years and I came out with my um, training and my, my qualifications. And to keep my parents happy, <laughs> um, I agreed to teach for a year before going into the business. Right. And I got a job as director of drama at the Royal Manchester College of Music. Fantastic. And my brief by the principal, Freddie Cox, who was a wonderful man, and said, I, I don't care what you do, Mr. Hawkes, as long as you get all these singers on the stage as often as possible. And after my very first production, uh, it was a play, um, The Chalk Garden, mm-hmm. um, he said, you better do some opera scenes. Wow. So, Wow! I did some opera scenes. Yeah, and um, I did. I assisted Mrs. Barlow, the legendary Sheila Barlow. Who right. People, anyone from Manchester and the mm. opera studio know about Sheila Barlow. Yeah, yeah. Sheila Barlow. <laughs> right. Okay. With a Mancunian accent. <laughs> That's not a very good one. But anyway, um, they, I, I stayed for two years. Yep. I was having a wonderful time, yeah. and the girl I was going out with at the time yeah. said. Tom, if you're going to go into the theatre, yeah. you better leave now because you'll get sucked into academia. Right. So I left a job where I was supremely happy yeah. and went to Derby Playhouse as stage director yeah. um, and actor. And I was supremely unhappy. Oh, really, were you? Nine miserable months. Um, right from the off. No, it was okay at the beginning, yeah. but it was a company where there was a lot of ill feeling right. and the productions were tedious. They were from the French's acting edition mostly, yeah. and I was promised a production uh, as part of my contract mm-hmm. during the course of the season, mm-hmm. and I wasn't given it. Right. And I think there was a certain amount of jealousy yeah. on the part of the director because when they did a production of Hamlet, mm. I staged the duel, which in several um, reviews got the best bit <laughs> of the scene. That's really galling. Well, it, it is galling. It <laughs> is galling. Because yeah. uh, I did a lot of fencing earlier. Right. Um, anyway, um, when the list came up for the last three productions, and I wasn't down for directing, I went right. to the director of the company and said, you promised me a production. Mm-hmm. Oh no, you're far too useful on stage, Tom. Mm. Playing middle-aged and elderly character parts. Right, right. And so I said, "Well, sorry, mm. I'm I'm leaving at the yeah. end of this this okay. production." Yeah. And I left. Yeah. I came to London. I had 
no, I had two interviews lined up. One was the Handel Opera Society, mm -hmm. and they gave me a job on the Monday wow. as production manager, right. which I knew nothing about, really. <laughs> and on Wednesday, I was interviewed at Sanders Wells, and so they were looking for a deputy stage manager. Right. Uh, I got that job. They got me out of the Handel Opera Society right. job. On the Thursday uh, of that week, I sight-read Chenarentula, uh, <laughs> including in those days the storm <laughs> sequence was a whole lot of <laughs> buttons that you had to press. Yeah. And I think, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah, yeah. Lightning flashes Fantastic. and things. And um, I went out on tour on the Sunday for eight weeks and I, I can't tell you how happy I was That's with incredible. a big company yeah and but it's incredible because on, on, a, on just on the basic thing apart from being good timing and obviously you obviously had the talent anyway that they saw but just have that sort of many jobs around available that were that were that were going in those know. days you know really yeah. I mean it's just a, it's just a thing I, I, I think it, it always strikes me that you know you, you know you, you and I've known each other for a long time the I'm a big believer in that destiny that you were meant to be in that place at that time to, to do that. That was that was going to be it. So was that the end of acting for you? Um, more or less. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> it was strange enough. My two greatest triumphs since then <laughs> have been in this opera house, right? For the English Bart Festival, mime roles, right? How oh, right? <laughs> in my own productions because right. we were usually short of an actor. Excellent. Excellent. Always good. <laughs> Always too. Yeah. But uh, going back to Sandler's Wells. Um, being in the right place at the right time, mm. uh, the, one of the staff producers, um, I'll be indiscreet, fell in love in America right. and decided he would follow his love to America. Yeah. And there was a vacancy and I was interviewed. Mm. And so the start of the second next season, yeah. I started as a staff director. Wow. And this was in the autumn of 19. Uh, 65. Wow. What a time to be in London as oh, well. That's fantastic. 65. So. And then, again, I was lucky because this particular director had been a staff director on a mass ball. Right. And it had not been a success, but I'd been stage managing it on tour mm -hmm. on DSM, so I knew the score mm. really well. And with the impetuosity of youth <laughs> I went to uh, the management and said I know this piece inside out and if Glenn by I'm sure doesn't want to do mm -hmm. it again I will do it but I must have my name on the programme right, director lovely. You yeah. Know, yeah. And, they, and they said yes yeah. and it had really terrific reviews fantastic you know, and that really launched me yeah absolutely as it would I mean yeah. it's amazing sort of quick promotion through everything isn't it you know that's that's it the was. great thing that's great so let's go even, even further back when you were growing up was there opera in in your family home no none at all no there was music my mother was uh, keen on, on music mm -hmm. but there was uh, and i didn't learn to play the piano even though at one point when one of my aunts came to live with us she bought her baby grand right i didn't learn that but i was going to be an actor yeah and so i was drama orientated right. um, I did have the local uh, Torbay Operatic and Dramatic Society known <laughs> as Toads right. I played in a, a play called As Long As They're Happy mm. in which I was the equivalent of a, a crying crooner uh, um, Johnny Ray yeah, yeah. Mm. and 
was a crying, <laughs> fairly awful sound that I produced on, on stage. Right. I was much too young for a part, but no, yeah. that's fun. But with, you know, so no, no music in the family, so that obviously goes back to the, the previous story about, you know, you promising your parents that you would get a, a job, inverted a commas, job, a, a proper, proper job, job yeah. you know. And, uh, and that, that probably still uh, exists to this day, doesn't it? I'm sure it does. And you can understand why yeah. in many yeah. ways. Um, your parents want you to be happy and successful and, ha- and marry and have a family and children yeah. and all those yeah. things. But also stability, I think. And the yeah. business is still unstable. It always has been, yeah. it always will be. It will. Uh, I was at um, a uh, sort of jobs fair a couple of years ago where um, it was the equivalent of speed dating, but in, in speed... Uh, jobs advice and me and this actor we were on the sort of entertainment business table and you could see all of the uh, parents whizzing their kids past us to get to oh. the, the banking table or the, oh. or the law table I said don't speak to them yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know come here come here come do this um, so we, we, we've gone through that so the, you're at Sandler's Wells great time to be there I was there for three three and a half years yeah um, and the year in 1969 when the company left mm-hmm. to go uh, to the Coliseum yeah. my three and a half years were up I, while I was there I got a number of jobs freelance jobs right. and I must say Clem Brian Shaw who was the director of productions he was, he was a great advocate for me right. and, and a support and understood mm-hmm. and I, he was a father figure really okay. um, and I went freelance but I yeah. also in those wonderful days, I got an uh, Arts Council bursary to study in Germany. Nice. So, Very nice. To study a, as a director? A study with German opera houses ah. and German productions. Right. And I learnt enough German to get myself around. Right. I had to put in a budget. Yeah. And I selected a number of opera houses I wanted to go to, and I'd written to them, and they said, mm-hmm. yes, come along, etc., mm-hmm. etc. And um, that's what I did. Uh, and that was in the spring of 69. Yeah. 69, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, I had money left over, so I go to the Arts Council, and I said, mm-hmm. Well, here's this money. <laughs> what are you doing? You must be mad. Yeah, yeah, no one's ever done that. No. Yeah, since either, probably. So I went to America instead and went to Mexico nice. with my sister. Nice. Oh, fine. <laughs> no, but I think, and, and what was the, um, uh, you know, because obviously these days the big thing about, you know, the cliche about German houses anyway is the sort of Reggie Theatre, the, you know, the very ultra productions. And what was, what was the, the production style like out there at that time? Well, I had great good fortune through a contact to, to go to East Berlin. Wow. Um, and sit in on Felsenstein's yeah. uh, rehearsals. Yeah. In the week, I saw him stage the, the final duet from Carmen. Yeah. The entire week. Right. He had six months for the production. <laughs> and it, that was absolutely <laughs> fascinating because he didn't actually tell the actors what to do. Right. They'd run through and he'd pick bits mm-hmm. and that bit. Oh, that bit was good, and, that, and okay. then meld it together. Okay, and it, it so it belonged to the actors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, well, the singers. Every night, I sat in. I went to the opera in mm-hmm. East Berlin, and then got onto the train and go back to the other side. Right, it was yeah. a, 
but wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So when you when you, you talk about time in the rehearsal room, then when you were side of the world was in that time, uh, was it just the same as that? Was it a rep a rep season? You'd do uh, like six yeah. or eight whatever shows. There were two companies. Yeah. There's S and W company. Right. S was. I think that's the right way around, was the serious company that did the grand operas, right. and, and W did the operettas. Okay. Um, and one company was always on tour, and one was in London. And, and most com- on tour they would do four or five productions mm-hmm. a week. Wow. Um, so my first tour, there was Faust, Marsball, Bella Len, Cheddar and Tiller. So that was four productions okay. in a week. Wow. So um, it was pretty heavy going. Yeah, indeed, know, indeed. But it was fun. And But you had to turn those shows around pretty quickly then, the rehearsals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, 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 I've always liked that style and the quickness. Even even now, you know, we're probably, you know, our normal thing now hasn't changed over 20 years. It's four weeks in the room and then onto stage. Um but a couple of times we do things where we have to move quickly and I, sometimes the quickness does help in yeah, a funny way it does. you wouldn't choose it but it but it does help when you have to when you yeah. have to do it you have to do it and you get on with it don't you as I remember we had three weeks for a new production right and then onto the stage right and, um, and then as a staff director you were assigned to directors yeah. and I worked mostly with either Glenn Shaw or Colin Graham right they asked fabulous me. Yeah. yeah I couldn't have asked for better mentors that's fantastic one time with our friend Anthony Bash who will come back to later yeah which was sheer agony <laughs> <laughs> not only for me but for other members of the cast <laughs> well, it has to happen sometimes yeah. so um Okay, so that, uh, we was on a few years, and yeah. then because um, you were one of the directors that were on one of the companies, of which there were a few, that used to bring produ- opera productions to Holland Park Theatre before Opera Holland Park existed. No, you weren't. No. So what, you just came in to Opera Holland Park, did you? I came in for the third production, which the com- uh, the, which uh, the library. Yeah, uh, was putting on. No, I thought you were which, uh, coming in before. No, oh. I, I, I only did one production. That came in from outside, which was later. In, oh, okay. Uh, which was the Bohem from okay. Northampton. Right. Okay. But I came in um, uh, when the library were running from yeah. the Eris. Oh, yeah. Okay. And and uh, that season. And it revived the following season a new production of La Luciana. It's an interesting piece, Iris, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I mean, Mike, you know, you know, my partner in crime, Mike, he loves it, and I think that opening chorus is one of the great is one of the great things. Wonderful things, isn't it? Yeah. It was, um, I was able to work with Peter Rice. Yeah. Um, Mike had committed the the company to the costume designers, uh, the Lesters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so. Peter worked his yeah. sets around yeah. these opulent costumes. Yeah, they were wonderful. Yeah, really were. So, when you, um, how did you get involved then uh, with the company for for that first production of Iris? Can you remember? Uh, um, one of, I think the administrator at the time was Ray. Ray Bingle. Ray Bingle. Yeah. And because we worked so much together, he must have suggested me to join. Okay. Uh, and that's how I got, got yeah, involved. Yeah, great. No, no. Because also, we would, and you just mentioned it then as well, because we, 
Yeah, Mike's big on this, and I'm big on it too these days as well. In that, um, you know, we've got this seam of rarities that we've done. Yeah. But one of the things that we're that we've been into is you know, not just doing these rarities once. Often, and say, well, let's put them back in. Yeah. And so um, we've done. We did Iris again in, in 2016, I think. And then um, uh, in total, I mean, Lalisiana is a rarity, but. The company's done it three times in, 20, in just over well, twenty years. Uh, I think I think it really is actually your uh, your ninety eight production that was set in the First World War. Uh, p- yes, uh, post work just after World, just after, and the hero has come back um, stressed. Yeah, makes um, a lot of sense. Yeah, because I, I just felt that he's I, I had to find some way for him his his mental condition. I think that's right. The shell shock from that. Yeah. And Peter Wed, Woodward, who's double cast in this, such a great actor. Oh, he's a he's a fabulous. Yeah. Peter's amazing. He's one of my favourites. I love him. Um, but I think you know this year we did it again, and uh, it was said just in, just after Second World War. Oh, did you? Yeah, right. and I think you know because the, the director Ollie Platt hadn't seen yours, but I think there has to be a reason why he's in that. Yeah. Because he's not stable, no. Federico. He's no, not he's stable, not. And, and, and there is that great reason. But I, uh, I think of all the rarities we've, all the rarities we've done, I think it's probably my favourite piece. I really, oh, love really? It. I really like it. Oh. I think it's just got enough interest and, you know, some beautiful music. The, the music that, um, uh, obviously, the lament, but also the the, the mother's aria. Oh, the mother's, the mother's wonderful. It's fantastic yes. aria. Yeah. yeah, really, nice. really lovely. But um, yeah, so so um, so the Lalisiana. You mentioned Peter Rice then, the um, the late great, right. incredibly missed by us all. Uh, what a designer! What a designer! I, I, and what a man! And what a man! He's my closest friend for over forty years. Yeah, and he was a gentleman. People loved him in the profession. They yeah. respected him. He did so many. We did so many shows together, yeah. and I, I talked to him at least three times a week. Yeah. And, and it's a great hole in my life. Peter. Yeah, he's you know. an amazing. Uh, he's an amazing person and and spirit and um, and I have these visions of of, uh, of of putting shows together at our place and. Um, he was a great one for ca- continuing to paint bits of scenery himself <laughs> until until the very last minute. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and you just see Peter arrive um, for a first night, more or less brushing paint off his hands. He was a bit off on his hands. <laughs> off yeah. still on his hands. But it was a, But he also was a very fine artist himself. Yeah. And 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 that came across in a lot of the pictures that he painted with you and and, and other people. Yes. Um, but he's. I've still got um, in the office and at home a couple of his original drawings for for sets and for costumes, yeah. and uh, they're beautiful to have on they're, the wall. They're beautiful, exactly. Yeah, I've yeah. got a whole collection of them. Yeah. And, and, and one of the quaint things about Peter, but every production he did, he did a, a little cartoon, as it were, mm. and, and would send a copy to every single member of the chorus of yeah. the company. Yeah, it was a lovely and, card, wasn't you know, it? Yeah. It was a very special. I've got some of them framed yeah. um, in front. So how did you two meet, Tom, you and Peter? The as well. Right. Um, I worked on uh, on a production. It was, it was a double bill of one foot I did the sort of load and... Um, oh, 
discovered. He'll come back to you in a minute. Yes, yeah. he will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he was the designer on one, and I was the staff producer on the other. And we met briefly then, but we really got together in the scene dock in Billingham, right. um, where lots of things went on tour. And this is a tour for Phoenix Opera in 72, and I was directing A Butterfly, and he mm-hmm. was designing Martha. Right. And we gravitated to each other in yeah. the scene dock and yeah. because there were three productions starting and, and he was oh, I knew him and so we were able to chat and I helped stick on a leaf or on this <laughs> side or the other <laughs> but he was one of, uh, one of his great stories for me was he um, he, he was a big uh, lover of going to the movies and he, one day he was taking a load of flowers home for his wife Pat to for, to use for work I think and um but he was at the National Film Theatre and they, uh, he just bought two seats so he had himself and then the next seat just full of flowers. That's and he looked like the worst date that's gone wrong ever because <laughs> it looked like he's got all these flowers and the date hadn't turned up. <laughs> Peter would ring up and say, well, do you want to go to the National Film Theatre? I'd say, yes, Peter, what's on? he said, well, it's really, really very interesting. I think you'll enjoy it. And you get two reels of some forgotten silent film. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was great. It was great. Um, anyway, so moving on again, uh, the year 2000, um, I joined the company, you've got two shows, we'll say why two shows in a minute, but the first show that we worked on together was Cosi Fantuti yep. in 2000, you alluded to earlier on the double cast, um, it was one of the first things that I managed to lose after a couple of years, Thank the goodness. double cast, because that was difficult for you and everyone, wasn't it? Well, we had a month's rehearsal and you've got to get two cars on. Yeah. And it is double the work, even though you don't have to rehearse the chorus yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, and of course, the chorus in those days was not the calibre of chorus you've got now. No. I mean, mm. we were at the times of scraping the barrel, yeah. flying people. Yeah. Um, and, and again, they, they react differently to a different cast. And of course. I, I've always been of the opinion that you can't make people in two cars do exactly the same Absolutely thing you've got, you've got to give yeah. them space they're different artists indeed yeah. indeed but I think so that was difficult and because also the stage time was limited well still is but stage time was limited orchestral time was limited and I remember the arguments that I walked into the first year was you know who was getting the first night which cast was getting the the first night which cast and I think I'm right I'm I maybe because everyone's memory is different yeah. I think that the main dress rehearsal was the cast that didn't do the opening night because that was all we all the company could do in those yeah. days so you know we forget sometimes we've moved a lot a long way on uh, yes. um, but I think the double cast for me immediately was a problem because although you did get more run of performances so in those days it was I haven't got it in front of me but it would have been the equivalent probably of 10 performances of Cosi and they would be continual um, but now we would do nine or ten, but they'd be spread out every yeah. second or third day, uh, and, and just have that cast. And the first thing that I, I looked at it was obviously we were spreading the money too thinly, uh, limited money as yeah. it still is, but spreading it too thinly by having to get two people yeah. for that for that money. You know, it was and, hard times. And you couldn't have 
an A cast and a B cast. Yeah. You have to spread the talent. Yeah. Because invariably someone's stronger than the other. Yeah. Yeah. You have to spread it across the two because yeah. it, otherwise it short changes. Yeah. The, the B cast, as it were, audience. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it, it is. It, it was a very strange thing. So, I, I mean, it happens, I guess, but I, I was pleased to to be part of the uh, the reason why we, why we moved on from that. Um, uh, that cuisine was very lovely, you, you and Peter Rice I again, yeah. and, uh, and some great artists that were very young then that were coming through. Mark Stone was in that one, mm-hmm. who had a, he's, he's had, yeah. and is having still a fabulous career. Um, and at the end of that season, we worked together again um, on, in, in Ballerin Mascara, because Anthony Besh, who you mentioned earlier, was ill. He was the, it was a revival from... Uh, Ballerin Mascara was the company's first ever production in ninety right. six. In 2000, it was revived. He was too little to do it. We did some auditions together, he and I, yeah. but uh, he was too little to direct it, so we asked you to come in. How was that coming in to take over someone else's uh, work at that stage in your career? It, it wasn't fully cast. Yeah. and I was not happy with the cast. Yeah. Um, some people were good, some people I yeah. knew, other people I were And I... It was not my conception because it's accepting mm-hmm. the sets mm-hmm. uh, that Peter had, da- right, had done for Anthony, yeah. mm-hmm. and so I didn't feel anything belonged to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, in retrospect, I shouldn't have done it yeah. by that stage. I should not have taken on. Yeah, uh, but, but you were stuck. I think that's the thing. I think you did us and me particularly a favour. Remember, that was my first year at the company, my first year in opera. Yeah. And so, you know, who would, who would I got on with the closest as quickly as you and I? I was like, okay, can you do this? And yeah. it was always going to be different. But you did and came in and did a wonderful a wonderful job on it. But I remember at the time, even you and I having long chats about this is feeling strange because... Yeah. There's a limit to what you can change or do when it is billed as a revival yeah. of that person's yeah. of that person's work. Yeah. Um, but I also remember the first year, Tom. You know, we've talked about this that I'd worked at Bill Kenwright's before, and I'd had many, many productions on, but um, up to twenty or twenty-five probably. Um, and having six on at Holland Park was difficult, but it, it didn't freak me. Yeah. But the sheer difference of being in opera sort of did, and you were incredibly kind and patient to me in that first year when I was trying to find my trying to find my feet because I mean for example I never even heard of NAs before right. I came into no, you wouldn't I wouldn't come into the commercial well, TRA I'm, 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 I'm not available okay well you're not doing the job <laughs> yeah. you're not doing the job yeah. so that was just a weird thing and, and NAs had been booked in by you know exactly. by the time I took over the company they were already in and it was just a minefield and you were, as I say you were incredibly patient but also very kind in knowing that I really wanted to do this and really and, and make it work but yes. I, I was coming across things for the first time you know it was a very difficult difficult experience but you were lovely then thank you thank you, uh, you know. <laughs> I didn't realise but thank no, you it, well, it, I've forgotten no it was, yeah. it, it, was, it, was it was a very interesting yeah. time um, our second year together we worked on which is still one of my favourite shows actually and certainly I've described it as one of the pivotal shows of the company's history was uh, the the Traviata in 2001 where we were sitting in the room together where we first discovered Anne-Sophie Duprell who's been the leading lady at the company for nearly 20 years now and and was singing at a gala this week for us and um, I remember that moment very clearly because she came in and just blew our socks off didn't she yeah 
she was just out of this world. And she was to have had the second night. I remember. And it was cancelled. The only time Holland Park <laughs> was cancelled <laughs> because of a hell of a wind blowing and the, the um, stage director or something decided the rig was Yeah, the head, of, uh, the head of operations or something. And you said, weren't told. And me and Mike were walking to the theatre and the orchestra were walking the other way saying this cancelled. It's never happened since. Before or since. And, and it certainly wouldn't happen now. Mike and I was, would never let that happen now. But it was, it was all released before and she was incredibly upset on that oh, night because it was her London debut and... And Colin Lee was so sweet and looked after her. Yeah. He was the tenor. And then <laughs> her first night, which was two nights later or whenever, yeah. and she came off stage at the end, she fainted. She fainted. <laughs> fainted backstage. <laughs> She was elated, but <laughs> she was lying back, backstage. That was her thing for a few years. She doesn't do any more, but she would all, give everything on stage oh, and yeah. just have no energy left at all, and just and just faint. She was, she was stunning and wonderful and vulnerable, and and she has made a, a career out of it. You know, I mean, for me, Anne Sophie has been a good friend. Uh, great artist great friend to the company I mean she sang at me and Angela's wedding yes. uh, you know she's been but it was one of those days that, well I say the pivotal because I think that it was one of the days that the company changed a bit of direction with that yeah. it was that yeah. was a really heavyweight day and, and that Traviata I mean we've had a very successful Traviata just two years ago but I remember that Traviata was very beautifully done and, and that was um, just at the very end of the Second World War wasn't it the occupation of Occu Paris. The occupation yeah. of Paris, and, uh, and that was a beautiful production. I, yeah. I love, I love that one. Um, 2002, we uh, we had Ad Adriana Lecouvreur for the first time with the great Rosalind Plowright and uh, Ludmilla and yourself came to me with this and said, "We think we can get Ros in," which at the time was and still is an incre incredible coup for us. Yeah. I think. It was her first major mezzo role after the uh, the change, certainly in this country. Uh, probably, yeah. yeah. But you see, it's interesting. When she was a student at the London Opera Centre, mm. she sang quite a number of mezzo roles. Yeah. And I knew her uh -huh. then, and I directed her uh, at the Opera Centre. Um, right. Uh, before her professional career. She's a remarkable artist. Yeah. I mean, she was with it's us lovely. this year for a ballet masquerade. And, yeah. uh, oh, was, I'd love to see her she was she was just incredible, Tom. I mean, what an artist, and I think she's getting better. Yeah, you know, because her, her movement as well as her voice on stage is just is just wonderful. Um, Two thousand two, you also brought into the fold um, another OHP uh, legend, Ron Freeman, to do yeah. wigs and makeup on that because we had a that was my first year where we had two shows in rep. That was Adriana with you and uh, and La Rondine. Yes. On and the we, same set. On the same, well, we've changed, changed sets that we round. asked Peter yeah, to do. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I think that that was a big, a big change for us. And Ron, you brought Ron in, um, once again changed how we looked at things in a much more professional way about yeah. wigs and makeup. And he, he was another legend in, in the legend business, In this house. In this house, yeah. I mean, incredible. Yeah. Um, his, his stories, I mean, if he was still with us, I wish he was, I mean, yeah. the podcast that we'd do with him might get bleat <laughs> a lot <laughs> I mean I think that I think we might not allow that out on Apple I think we'd get banned on that um, 
And so and then over the next couple of years, we went back more to where you started, really. We had a few, we had a, a wonderful uh, Merry Widow. We had a fabulous Flader Mouse, which was great, wasn't it? Great fun. I, I enjoyed it particularly because um, John Owen Edwards, who was the conductor, yeah. suggested uh, for Frosch, the Comet Jail at the end, yeah. we've got a, a musical theatre man in. Yeah. And, uh, and I wanted to do the... the um, Second act and third act together, mm -hmm. running from one to the other, mm -hmm. and um, the link music. He did a fantastic routine. And did a great routine. Story, great stories. Yeah. Um, I talked about orchestral players, and but particularly in or the orchestra, the viola players always looked down upon by the rest <laughs> of the strings. So he, he told a viola joke. Um, we weren't quite sure how the orchestra was going to react <laughs> after that night. The players came up to him every night, offering more, more, more jokes. jokes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And he got very nervous before going on stage every night, but he he killed it every night. Oh, just. But as you say, in the end, at the beginning, everyone was saying, "Oh, is it going to be okay with jokes?" And then they would say, "Please make a joke about me because yeah. my family are in tonight <laughs> yes. or something." It was wonderful. Um, so let's um, let's uh, talk about a couple of things before we wrap up here. Um, not it doesn't have to be factual. Just what you what you think. Um, what do you think the opera that you've directed the most has been, Tom? Um, the Flair de Mouse, Cousy, Magic Flute, all three. Right. Um, and all of those, Cousy and La Boheme. Right. Uh, I will never get tired of right. directing those two right. because they're about me, yeah. you, yeah. when we are young. No, indeed. And the mistakes we make when we're in love. Yeah, indeed. All of that. Is it hard, or has it been hard to change, when, you, when you've when you had a great success with the show, and then coming back to it, and then having to do it differently, when you've already done good work and you found a way through it, do you, did you find that hard? No, I, because usually by the first night I thought, you'd think, if I do this again, I would do such and such. Yeah. And I would change it, and you've got other ideas. Yeah. And if it's a great work, it's open to so many different interpretations. Mm. I mean, obviously, as sections of an opera, mm. you think, well, that's worked really well. Why do I need to change that? Mm. I'd mm. rather change the location, the feel of it. Yes. I mean, for example, um, a Bohem I did at Castle Warden, Northern Ireland. Um, uh, Schoenard in that first act scene when he comes back mm -hmm. with the money and all that, he was in drag right. which and he gradually, as, as he's talking was what we know as the paratari mm -hmm. was taking off his drag and getting mm -hmm. back into his clothes yep. um, and it suggested that perhaps uh, just visually he might have earned the money in perhaps a slightly right. different way okay, yeah nice yeah. Yeah. I mean I, it's one of the things I've I, I loved and continue to love about working in opera is different interpretations yeah. and obviously sometimes audiences get frustrated with us as people that run opera companies and direct because they wanted to see the version that that they remembered or they saw before and but I, I always argue and say you know we, we never ever go out to disappoint but you you have to keep it different, not just to keep us interested, there's absolutely not that, but to keep audiences coming. If yeah. you'd seen the same show every time you went to see it, it would be dead. Yeah, absolutely. But, so I think that it's, it's really interesting to, to look at it differently, how that works. Um, uh, you, you mentioned earlier on, so you might have already answered this, but 
are there directors you've compl- you've particularly looked up to throughout your career? Well, I was lucky, as I say, working with Glenn Byrnshaw mm-hmm. and and assisting Colin, and Colin opened up several opportunities for me right. at the Theatre St. Louis mm-hmm. and it, with the English Opera Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learnt a tremendous amount from both of those men. Yeah. And I was very lucky at, uh, at a stage when I was directing plays as well as opera that I had time with Tyrone Guthrie, the great. Mm. Yeah. Um, he invited me to stay at his home in Ireland. Right. And I could just talk mm-hmm. about mm. directing. Yeah. And, and nothing specific, but it was a week of a master, daily masterclass. Yeah, um, great. I, I was very, very lucky. Well, I, I think you and know, I have talked about this over many, over many years. But I do think that um, you know people ask believe in the sort of the chain that goes through our profession going back and and, and hopefully into into the future. Because I owe debts of of what I've learned from producers, the, the, the senior producers in this country at the moment, going back to. The link with Binky Beaumont in the forties and fifties, and 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 before that, Byram Tree or George Alexander back in the eighteen nineties. There is a link that someone gave me. Stephen Barlow, the lovely director, gave me a, a copy of uh, a biography of Binky Beaumont, and I was reading some of it. This is a couple of years ago, and I thought, God, this is that's just what I do. Now I never learned that from him, but it's still part of that yeah. thing. And I remember one of my. Uh, most treasured moments was on my 10th anniversary at Holland Park um, that Mike had made me this lovely video and on it Peter Rice had said you know you're part of that tradition from Binky Beaumont and it was really and he would know and he'd worked with him and he'd worked with me you know years later and and, uh, Angela my wife was sitting in the audience thinking I know that was your favourite bit because that meant it was part of it so what I'm saying is it's nice for you then to have those directors that that you learn from and then it keeps going it keeps the, it keeps it going I through. think you see when I started uh, the style was different in the 1960s mm-hmm. you, your primary purpose was to tell a story clearly mm-hmm. and uh, which I've always believed in doing mm-hmm. I, I've always believed that whatever language I'm working in mm-hmm. a member of the audience should be able to come in without surprise or anything and just know what's happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. within you know 10 minutes or so yeah. and that's through line and I, I've not changed from that mm. in all my career I, mm. I'm a storyteller yeah no you you are and and we have to be because because that's that is what that is what we're doing and obviously people change in be daft if we didn't as we get older or more experienced but the, the pro, your process of how you direct has that remained the same? Are you a, 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 are you a read the uh, libretto first if it's a new piece to you, or do you just sort of inhale it, music, and, and listen to it all at the same time? What, what's your process? The, if it's a new piece, I start with the music. Yeah. I, I don't often, you know, I find out more about when I'm going from the music, yeah. not following the score or anything, mm-hmm. just listening and over and over mm. and then I know what the music's saying mm. to me mm. and then of course the, study what the British want and the t- how they meld together mm-hmm. you know and um, often make little drawings for myself yeah. uh, uh, of particular moments so like a, a film storyboard yeah. um, and then 
exchange those ideas with my designer mm. and, and let them clothe my ideas. Yeah, no, excellent. You know, and, and it's wonderful that doesn't happen all the time if you can work at that early stage with the conductor yeah. to go through the score to know what they're going what they want to do yeah yeah because it alters so much no it does I mean I think that yeah, it's a very good point and I think that it's great to get the team together as early as possible um, but I think also sometimes it's just um, I love the alchemy as well that happens when it's going well in your room where you know, you know, the conductor ha- you know, may have come in with some ideas, and you've come in with other ideas, and the cast and all of their ideas. But yeah. then, then it turns into something else. I just love those moments. It's, it, 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 that's that's the thing I miss most now. Mm. I miss the buzz of mm. the rehearsal room. Yeah, I love the, the rehearsal room. The excitement of it all, and the, the act, act of creation. Yeah. Um, uh, and I really miss it. No, it's, you know, I can I see, it, but I do think that. Because the rehearsal rooms, when people well, sometimes we, we take guests in, giving us money, you know, donors and supporting the company, and often when you just come in cold for maybe an hour to observe, rehearsals can be quite dull if you're just walking in and yeah. seeing it because yeah. there's a lot of repetition, yeah. there's a lot of discussion, there's a, but when you're in it over a period of time, there's just this vibrant, excitement yeah. thing, and I love being in the room first week or so when when directors yourself are doing something and then you see that bit grow and grow over a couple of weeks and then you're in the studio run and you think oh yeah that's what they've done I think you know it was great being a staff director at the Wells for three years Mm. um, working for a lot of different directors Mm. and the ones who created a a happy atmosphere and I felt always Mm. that the better production involved rather than the, the dictators mm. are the ones who instill fear into the cast yeah. I mean um, that's not my I can't work that way no I agree and that's you know no one really works like that for us you know no. because no, I can't sure. stand it you no. know because I think that I think that's why we bonded in the very the very beginning because of similar ideas about how rehearsal rooms and stuff and I remember some of the times I remember when we were in technical rehearsals as well you and I were just in the middle of this sort of tension or under under time restrictions, just being fits of laughter at one thing or another that <laughs> happened. And, and 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 I think that was always very healthy. It still is. And when people, the cast or the stage management, see the director and the producer, which I think is it, it, the way I work anyway, a crucial relationship. I think so. You know the, the, that triangle really of director, conductor, producer. For me. and when people are under pressure and they're looking up into the theatre and they're seeing me and you laughing and going isn't it great and I, it has a knock on effect to people's I, I think for a director to know that his producer is supporting him mm. you know um, you and I have on times disagreed about certain things yes. uh, but that's healthy that's how it should be I know it should be. anyway Tom we've got to leave it there time's run out uh, Tom Hawks has been a pleasure to have you here and see you again today and um, thank you very much for being here thank you Tom Hawks You have been listening to From the Producer's Office a series of informal podcasts with James Clutton For more information on Opera Holland Park please visit www.operahollandpark.com